Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. It's good to be with you. It really is. You all have done a fabulous job here. Pastor David and Megan and the team, uh, Jermaine and Andrew and everybody else who's a volunteer. Lou, who is a uh, fabulous administrator. Who else am I missing? Tankson's. Uh, just great. Just proud of you. Thank you for your hard work. And you who um, don't know who I am, there are people about, about 12 miles to the south that consider you all family. And on some Wednesday night, because you don't have Wednesday night service here, you ought to come down and check us out, see what we're doing. And we have coordinated events whereby we do some things for the entire community together. Come down and check us out because that is the people who birthed this. And we plan to do a whole, a whole lot more of that birthing thing. So we were raising up young men and women to go out and plant other works. Well, turn with me over to the book of Hebrews. Pastor David has asked uh, me to speak today because he's in the Philippines doing his theological work. And um, from what I understand, he's doing a great job there. Uh, be before I get into the word, I want to introduce my wife, Cynthia. Stand up, say hey. We're going to talk about faith. We've been on this series for a couple of months now. And this is Faith to Move Forward, Abraham and Sarah. And I understand that you all stand when the scriptures are read. So go ahead and get on your feet. I'm going to keep with your tradition. And because I sit, I'm going to stand too. <laughs> By faith, even Sarah. Oh, you, you're kidding. You do that too? No, really? You do that? Great. Okay. <laughs> By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars in the heaven, and which is innumerable, and by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who received his promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he who said, in Isaac, your descendants shall be called. You may be seated. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Now sit down. Wow. If I had known you did that, I would have shortened the scripture. All right. Um, Lord, help us as we study your word. Please give us wisdom, insight, open the ears of the hearers, and help me to speak well and not impede anything you want to do in your spirit today. Amen. Amen. Three things on this passage about which I want to concentrate how Sarah received power, Abraham received a child, and then Abraham gave a child. 
Sarah is the first woman in all of Scripture to be described as barren. Now, there may have been many others, but she's the first one described as such, which in redemptive terms makes it very unusual. The the theme you get from everybody else, in fact, everything else in the book of Genesis uh, with respect to family is about he lived, he begat, and he died. He lived, he beget, and he died. He lived, he beget. Everything is about one generation giving birth to another. And then you get to this strange moment where somebody lives and he can't have kids. A woman's alive. She can't have kids. And you say something, and, and, and we, sometimes we let our religious idea about what we know is going to happen in the end begin to allow, uh, not allow us to, to see the reality of what's happening in the now because we know the end of the story. Well, we know she gives birth to Isaac, who gives birth then to Jacob, who then gives birth to the people of Israel, and we all benefit as a result of the redemptive line that comes through the people of Israel. But living with Abraham and Sarah, it was a nightmare, a nightmare. Now, they lived a lot longer than we did. Abraham lived somewhere in the neighborhood of 125 or 50 years or something like that. And there are reasons why people lived longer back then. I don't have time in this sermon to talk about it. And, and, and because people lived longer, you can say, well, the, the, the period of barrenness can be extended with respect to permanence because they had more opportunity to have children. So whereby if a woman today doesn't have a child by 50, it's pretty much most people think it's over. And back then, maybe it's by 60. Uh, But she was now 65 when God spoke. And the Bible describes her as being past childbearing age. And not just being at the age at which people do not bear children. It's that her history had shown that she could not. And so there was more, there's more of a poor track record that everybody began to look at and say, you haven't, so you never will. And the the pain of that, the agony of being one of the only women in the world who couldn't bear a child was embarrassing. Every day she had to look in whatever mirror they created and see a woman who couldn't, knowing that her husband needed a child in order to see the promise come to pass. And so it wasn't just her inability physically. It was now she's standing in the way of what God wants to do with that man. And she said, I didn't ask for this. I didn't want this. I, was, I thought when we got married a couple of years, we just popped one out. I had no idea we'd be here 50 years from now and still nothing. God, I want babies, but I can't seem to get them. And my husband has promised this land to his descendants, and he has not won. I don't know what to do. Crying out every day of her life. That moment every month for a woman was depressing for her deeply. Because it was confirmation again that she could not. 
And each day that went past was one more reason as to why she should doubt her ability to ever give her husband what he needed. But God, God has this wonderful ability to do stuff beyond us. And sometimes he, he allows us the privilege of understanding what beyond us looks like. Usually way beyond our comfort of what beyond means. Because we think beyond is whenever we get a little bit, little bit uncomfortable. Okay, I'm ready now. You can do, what you, you, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm here. I'm available. I'm released to you. I surrender. Have your way. And the Lord's supposed to go ahead and do it on our timetable. And we would love that, would we not? But patience means this. This is what patience means. Long-suffering. It doesn't mean short-suffering. And, and, and whatever long means, it usually is defined by God, and it is always longer than we think it should be. And so when you, when you think you've suffered long enough, it usually isn't. When you think you ought to be done with a trial, you're not. Why? Because God is trying to get as much as possible out of you. He's going to give you the promise that he promised, but he, he wants to make you different and get more out of you when you get the promise so that you will be different when you get it. And be a testimony to everybody else who thinks they've waited way beyond what they ought to do in terms of waiting. Patience is long-suffering. We as a congregation, and, and, and this, has, this has little to do with, with respect to Abraham and the difficulty through which they went, but we as a congregation started in 1982. I was here. I helped to start. I wasn't the senior pastor. I was only 21, but I was a part of the team, and I reached out to Howard University, and for 20 Five years. Someplace in there, the senior pastor left and gave me the church. For 25 years, this congregation did not have a home. We were nomads. Boy, I felt more like Abraham than I ever wanted to. I felt like God was giving us a portion of the city that should be ours as an inheritance to steward for the kingdom. But I had no terra firma. Our church had no property. We met in 33 different locations over 25 years. There were times when we met in hotels where we showed up on a Sunday morning and the hotel said, you're not here today. We said, no, we are. We're looking at you. <laughs> no, 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 you, you, you don't have a meeting space. Wait, we have a contract. I know, but we had, a, we had a conference that scheduled it and we booted you. That happened. We had to go to somebody's backyard and do church that morning. Sometimes we had to call on the telephone and say, where are we meeting today? We had things called phone trees because there were no cell phones, no texts, no Snapchat, no I Instagram, no I nothing. It was, it was all just pick up the phone and you call this one and you call that one and you call the next one. 25 years. And all the friends of mine who were pastors who started after me had buildings and they were doing great 
And I was sitting there in my prayer closet one day. I said, God, I, I like what you're doing with them. I rejoice. They're wonderful human beings. I love, I'm not envious. I'm just saying, where's mine? I'm not mad that you're giving anybody else what they need. I just want to know where. I feel like a, a, a neglectful pastor. I can't provide my people a place to, to call home. And it's not for lack of searching. We even bought land. But it wasn't the Lord. <laughs> and literally three years later, we had to sell it because it was too small. Do you know how much leadership equity I lost? Telling people, this is the way God gave his property. Yay! Three years later, we got the wrong property. <laughs> it, was, it was real bad. Ishmael. <laughs> and then... One day God gave it to us, 20, 25 years later, we got property. Now, again, this, this can in no way compare to what Abraham and Sarah went through. But it wasn't until 25 years later that Abraham got a son. We got property. I know what waiting longer than I want to feels like. And I know what it feels like to be impotent with respect to occupation and property. Poor Sarah. She says, I can't do this thing. I don't know how to make it happen. Abraham, here, go into my mistress. Have a child because you need, you need a descendant. God said he's going to give this property to you and your descendants, and you don't have one, and I can't give you one. So here's Hagar. Now, Hagar happened to be your maidservant. And our version of Western morality doesn't so much like this part of Scripture, especially the women. You don't like this part. What do you mean she gave her maidservant to her husband to have a baby? Who does that? Whoever, whoever does my laundry ain't getting my husband. <laughs> ain't getting my husband. But that's the way things were done then. That it was the responsibility of the wife to make sure that her husband had a, had a survivor, had an inheritor. And if she could not, then she would give her maidservant to her husband. And then they would have a child, but the child would be as if it were hers, meaning the mistress. Now, we don't ascribe a whole lot of blame to Jacob. When Rachel couldn't have a child, and Rachel gave her servant, Bilhah, to Jacob, and they had two kids. We don't ascribe any blame to Jacob. Leah, who was Jacob's second wife, had a servant named Zilpah, and she became barren, meaning Leah, and she gave Zilpah to Jacob, and they had two kids. And we don't ascribe any blame to Jacob. But when we think about Abraham, we think, mm, you shouldn't have done that. That was really bad. Well, it was culture. And Sarah gave Hagar to Abraham, and they had a child. That child's name was, was Ishmael. Now, God, God wasn't mad about Ishmael. He just wasn't going to give the inheritance that was Abraham's to that boy. Because God had in mind all the time, Sarah, you're the one. Now, he has this baby over here. I get that. And he ain't mad about that. I'm going to bless Ishmael. 
I'm going to bless this man. It's going to be good. He's going to have property. He's going to have an inheritance. Not the one Isaac, your son, is going to have, but he's going to, he's going to be blessed. But the one you bear, that's the one. And as Sarah began to go through the process of feeling all these things, she kept wondering when. And at 89, after being in the promised land for 25 years, God comes to Abraham and says, by the way, this time next year, you're going to have a child. Now, you say to yourself, really? I mean, it was so one of those, really, that Sarah laughed when she heard it. She was inside the tent eavesdropping because God had stopped by to have a cup of coffee with Abraham. It's true. It's true. He just stopped by to say, hey, and inform him about what he was going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abram saw him and said, come on by, have a drink. And they sat down and, and drink, non-alcoholic, <laughs> have, a coffee, have a cup of coffee, sat down and they had, it was all day because they prepared a lamb. And he sat there and ate all, it was hours upon hours to sit in their fellowship with God. Abraham was talking and, and Sarah was cooking, but she had her ear and, and the Lord spoke to Abraham and said, this time next year you're going to have a child. And you... You, you, we didn't hear, Abraham couldn't hear, but God heard. And Sarah kind of went, hmm. she laughed. And then God said to Sarah, who he knew was listening, why'd you laugh? Do you not know that anything is possible with God? She said, I didn't laugh. Now, You never want to lie, <laughs> but especially not to God. It's like, really, this is, this, I know because I am God. I, there's nothing I don't know. And God was so merciful with Sarah. He said, oh, but you did. He could have snuffed her out then. <laughs> I mean, it could have been just lightning bolt gone. But he said, no, you did. And he didn't judge her for it. Our, our Lord is so merciful. He is so merciful, so kind, so understanding of our human condition, yet never lowering the standard. We still have to do right. But when we don't do right, he doesn't use all of his power to prove we should have done it, except to express his mercy and grace and forgiveness. He is amazing. And the beauty of this passage that we just read it said Sarah, it says Sarah believed God was faithful. Now, the good thing about our God is when we look in the New Testament and we see the summary of people's lives in the Old Testament, the people who really did well, the summary in the New Testament generally cuts out most of the stuff they did bad in the Old. So it says in, in, in Acts about David, and David fulfilled the purpose of God for his life, and he slept with his father. It only says good stuff about David. It doesn't tell anything about Bathsheba. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing about Uriah, the man he killed. His mess-ups. New Testament is only about he was the best. With both Sarah and Abraham. If you look in Romans 4, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Yet he laughed too. And he had a conversation with God that said, 
It went something like this. Oh, Lord, um, I, I realize you want to give us a child, and, and this child is going to be really the one you, okay, you inherit everything. But oh, that Ishmael might, might live before you. Why? Because for the last 12 years, he had been pouring into Ishmael all the things about him being the son that's going to inherit. Every, this was his son. He didn't love him any less. This was his boy. He took him hunting. He taught him everything he knew. Poured into him because he said, God told me this land's going to be me and my descendants, and you're my descendants. It's going to be yours. And then all of a sudden, God comes at 99 and says, by the way, the promise is coming through Sarah, not Hagar. And the son you birthed through her is going to be the one who inherits everything. And he said, Okay, I'm not mad about having two boys. That's good. That's good. But oh, that Ishmael, what am, I've been pouring into him for over a decade. I've told him that it's not his. I got something for him, and I'm going to bless him, but not with this. But in the New Testament, all we see is that Abraham grew stronger in faith, not doubting at all. God has a New Testament version of your story. Are you listening to me? I mean, all the stuff that you go through on Tuesday. Wondering, God, are you going to come through? You're sitting there. You know the promises of the Lord for your children. You know what they are. You've read them. Children are an inheritance from God, a gift. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. Oh, all these wonderful things. About, and then you look at your child and say, mm, not that one. Lord, you, 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 you didn't write that about this one here. Oh, my goodness. Are you kidding me? You get concerned. Oh, are they ever going to turn out right? I, we're not good enough as parents to be able to help them. Oh, they got, they're in the wrong family. They need, they need Mary and Joseph. They don't need us. <laughs> New Testament version of your story. God looks at the overarching picture, not at the moments where your soul just gets all in a knot. It doesn't mean that those moments don't count. At some point, you need to repent of every one of them. But God is bigger than that. And so we see it, it says here, Abraham and Sarah both considered him faithful. And you may be in a place where you're not bearing near as much fruit as you'd like. In fact, some of you are barren. Both naturally, dear ladies, you've been trying to have children. And the good thing is this. If you're barren, you fall in some really good fellowship company in the Bible. I don't know why God made Sarah wait 25 years after everybody said her womb was good as dead. But it sure does make for a good story for you. It makes for a wonderful testimony that allows you to get up every day and say, hmm, I haven't waited as long as her yet. I ain't 90. <laughs> and is it any more of a miracle for God to give a woman a baby at 70 than 90? For us, it seems that way. But like dead is dead. You can't be any more dead. So if a womb is dead at 70, it's dead at 90. 
But God linked in the moment so that there might be a testimony for you. That you might think dead is really more dead tomorrow than it is today. And that somehow you are one day further away from the promises of God tomorrow than you are today. When in actuality, if God spoke, you're one day closer. Are you listening to me? You are one day closer. If he spoke, be like Sarah. He's faithful. He does not lie. Abraham received a child. Boy, that was just great. He was, he was so happy. He had two boys. He had to navigate through what it meant like to share all this with, with Hagar. I mean, with uh, uh, Ishmael. It, it was tough. So much so that at the weaning party for Isaac, Hagar and, and Ishmael, Hagar was Ishmael's mama, were there. And the weaning party was a big deal. It happened generally between the ages of two and four that the child would no longer nurse it with mama and actually only eat solid food and obviously it was such a big deal that they threw a party any mother who is nursed understands why (laughs) big deal finally I can let this child go I don't have to be there every two hours to a big party at that party Hagar and Ishmael were sitting there like this Yeah, uh, Dad, why don't, you, why don't you let me take him to the mall? <laughs> he hated Isaac because he considered Isaac the one who took what was his. So bad was it that they began to mock publicly this whole party, Isaac. Sarah looked at Abraham and said, you got to send them away. They got to go. Because they're going to hurt my boy, your boy, your promise. And God sent him away, but he sent him away with stuff and with property. And God did an amazing thing through Ishmael. But Isaac was the promise. And Abraham had to restart what it meant to pour into this new boy everything that was supposed to be his. And he began to sense the presence of God around the entire discipleship process and what it meant to be dad for this this son and as the son began to grow God came to him and 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 by this time when I'm going to say what I'm going to say Ishmael was was old enough to understand just about everything that was going on spiritually God came to Abraham and said "Uh, I want you to give him back to me give me your boy Take him, sacrifice him on this mountain. The life of faith believes what you cannot see on the basis of what God said. You can't live in faith judging all of your reality by what you see and what you hear. You cannot. Faith requires that you do not let your five senses determine your reality. You let your five senses inform your reality, but not determine it. So whenever I see things going contrary to what I know the will of God is, I say, okay, now I know how I need to apply my faith. That helps me understand where I need to pray, how I need to pray, how I need to inform all the people around me to pray. 
That's why I need to exercise my faith right there. That's why I need to fast because this situation is informing me about how difficult it's going to be if I don't. My faith is informed by my natural senses. But I do not let anything I know to be true in the natural inform me about what reality is completely. Give me your boy. Now, what Abraham knew was this. Okay, I sent away Ishmael. God said my descendants would inherit. And he said through Isaac the promise would be real. But he wants me to sacrifice. Okay, I'm going to obey him. But somehow or another, I'm going to give my boy back. I, this doesn't fit that. But I'm not going to let that determine my reality. I know what he said prior. So something's going to happen. Even if I sacrifice my boy, he's coming back. He says that Abraham got up early in the morning. Now, now this part is really important with respect to faith. Got up early in the morning. And he went to sacrifice. And as he got to the mountain, he told the servants, <laughs> I, me and the boy, are going up the hill to sacrifice, and we will return. <laughs> That's a man right there. Now, why in the world would God ask Abraham to sacrifice that which he gave him? Because... And I got this from Jared Green, who preached, preaching this message over in Sterling, uh, excuse me, in Chantilly today. That which you believe God for, you should never put your faith in. We work so hard to see our reality change, and all of a sudden we get the gift that God promised, and we get so happy about it. We think, oh, the Lord came through, and we testify about it, and we want everybody to rejoice with us. And this, this promise is huge, super big. It helps to, to define my life. And then God tests us. He says, okay, I gave it to you, but how much do you love it? Do you love it more than me? Do you love it more than me? Are you willing to give it up? Mm. And generally, we, we categorize most of the stuff we need to give up as being the bad stuff. Well, I gave up drinking. I gave up carousing. I gave up clubbing. I gave up womenizing. I gave up, wait, 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 wait. This was good stuff you gave me. And now you want me to give up the good stuff too? <sighs> that for which we believe God is the thing in which we should never trust. And God tests us to find out, do you love me more? Do you love me or do you love my hand? Is it only about what I give you? Or is it about me? Tests. He went up on the mountain, got ready to sacrifice his son. And his son, Abraham, was amazing because he believed that both of them were coming down. But Isaac was pretty great in this too. Because we know he was old enough to understand and that he, as they're going up the mountain, it says he's carrying the wood and he asks daddy, where's the ram we're supposed to sacrifice? <laughs> and Abraham says, the Lord will provide. 
And all of a sudden, reality hits Isaac. He's laying horizontal. And daddy's tying him to the rock. Wait! You said the Lord would provide. He did. No! No, 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 no. We see no resistance from Isaac. He was doing the will of the Father. Abraham lifts the knife, and the angel of the Lord says, stop. He said, now I know you love me. Now I know you love me. Now, I'm closing with this. This was so big that as we read here in Hebrews, that it set the stage for what the father would do with his son and how the son would respond to the father and not fight him back. And it says that Abraham received his son back as a type. A type of what? A type of how the father, God, and the son, God, would relate in terms of sacrifice for the world. Secondly, the benefit that came to Abraham was huge. Now, what we see in the book of Genesis, chapter 15, is that God comes to Abraham. And I've only got five minutes now. God comes to Abraham and he says this. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to really make you prosperous, and I'm going to be your protector. Abraham says, after a battle that he had just won and given away all the spoils of the battle, he says, well, I, you know, I'm not mad about you blessing me, but what good are resources if I don't have an inheritor to give them to? All I got is Eleazar. He's a good man, but he's my servant. He says, oh, you're going to have a son. And, 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 and that son, your descendants will be, you'll have so many, your descendants will be as the stars of the sky. Says he looked up, took him outside his tent, said, if you can count them, that, that's the number of your descendants. And it says that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. End of promise. Now that would be good enough. But then we get to here to Genesis 22 where Abraham sacrifices the son and God reiterates the promise. He says, I'm going to make your descendants as the stars of the sky. And then he says, and as the sands of the seashore. He gets another confirmation to that which might be obscured by clouds. Sometimes you're not, sometimes you, sometimes the cloudiness in your brain doesn't allow you to remember what God said. Are you listening? The circumstances of life, all of a sudden it seems like the promises of God just sprouted wings and flew away. Doubt and unbelief fills your brain and you can't see the stars anymore. But nothing obscures the sand. Two confirmations. You're going to have two. If you can count the sands on the seashore, that's how your descendants will be. Ooh, that's good. That's good. Whenever the clouds come, I can look at the sand. Secondly, and your descendants will possess the gates of their enemies. The beautiful thing about what we read in Hebrews is that the passage in Hebrews is a quote from Genesis 22, not from Genesis 15. Meaning the writer of Hebrews says this, Abraham believed God in such a way, and we should too, that God wants to amplify the promises to you so that there is no obstruction in your understanding how he wants to bless you. Amplify it by duplicating the kind of provision whereby you have now vision to see things that you would not otherwise and increase the benefit to you by allowing you to understand that when you participate with him, not just believe, 
We're not just saying engage your heart in what God is saying. But when you do things that are extraordinarily unusual by giving back to him that which God gave you, all on the basis of what he says, he says, I'm going to amplify this promise, make it bigger now, so that your descendants will not only be so numerous that you cannot count them, stars, sad, but they will possess the gates of their enemies. Hear me. The things that you do to participate with God that are unusual, the sacrifices you make, they go beyond just your belief to get to heaven. All the stuff you have to do here to make it unusually wonderful for people around you, for the church, for those who are in your sphere of influence. God says this, when you sacrifice in an unusual way, I'm going to bless your your great-grandchildren will have the privilege of seeing victory as a result of your decision today. Are you listening? The things you do, the things you do today are impacting your great-grandchildren. Do you know that we are benefiting from the decisions that Abraham made? I don't know how many generations it's been, but it's been a bunch. We are still possessing the gates of our enemies. That church of Pergamum in the book of Revelation? The thing it says, that Jesus says about Pergamum, he says, I know where you live. I know where you, you live at Satan's door, right at his gate. That didn't mean they were doing wrong. That means that they were assaulting the kingdom of darkness to bring people who were in out. They were possessing the gates of their enemies. So do we. When you participate in faith and know what God has said, when you make the unusual sacrifice, when you give to building programs, when you give to missionaries, when you do stuff, when you plant cars in people's lives. Cynthia and I have cars in dirt. Not literally, it's figurative, it's a metaphor. We've given cars away. We've given stuff. We we give, give, give. We are giving unusual sacrifices so that our great-grandchildren will someday possess the gates of their enemies because God has already promised us. We're believing. We're going to heaven. We got it. As a result of what God said, I believe that righteousness has been given to me, not because I earn it. I surely don't deserve it. It's only because he decided to give it to me, and I believe his promise. But if I want progress here, If I want progress in the next generation here, if I want progress in my great-grandchildren here, unusual sacrifice of that which God gave me is going to be the norm. That's what faith is, a life of faith. And the beauty is this, an old religious phrase, no way you can outgive God. I sacrificed a lot, but it doesn't look like it. Sacrificed a lot, but it doesn't look like it. I've, I one day cro- I, I, I counted how much I'd probably given over the life of my Christian walk. And I thought, ooh, 37 years tithing. Ooh, boy, I could have done some of that money. <laughs> Got a lot of kids in college, could have done some of that money. <laughs> Giving it. And it doesn't look like it. Because you can't outgive God. He sacrificed his boy, but he didn't. 
because God gave back to you. That's a life of faith. Let's pray. Daddy, love you. Thank you for your goodness and grace. Empower us to be the kind of people who can live the way we should. We honor you for the privilege of walking by faith. Is there anybody this morning who has yet to give their heart to Christ? Maybe you've made a decision in the past, but your life doesn't look anything like what a believer's ought to be. If you fit in either of those categories, raise your hand high. I'd like to pray for you. Today is a great day to get right with God. Anybody at all? Raise your hand high. Anybody? I see that hand. Bless you. Once it's up, you can put it down. Anybody else? Bless you. All right, you who raised your hands, pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me. I am sorry for the way I've lived. I choose to turn away from everything I know to be sin and to follow you with all of my heart. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. And thank you for giving me the privilege of calling Jesus the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we've got a new Believer's Toolkit here for you. And here there's a Bible, Bible study, pen and a pad. Please come down front, pick one of these up, and there will be some people who can pray with you about the most important issues in your life. Church, love being with you. Love to see your growth. You're amazing. God bless you.